Now, I have been a Christian now for 31 years. For 31 years I've been a Christian. And in that 31 years, I reckon it would be safe to say that I haven't gotten things right a lot of that time. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've, I've experienced and, and still do experience different frustrations of, of whether it's trying to discern God's will, will in, in, in certain circumstances, especially when you've got this life that's just full of options and full of distractions everywhere. I've, I've felt the struggle of, and I'm sure you felt it as well, of, of one's own spiritual dryness when you, when you feel like there's just something missing in your relationship with the Lord, and, and you sort of you, you just look to rediscover that, that joy, the, the joy of the Lord that just sort of overflows because you've just been pressured by so many things. I, I, at times, I've even had the, the fire of enthusiasm die as you walk as a Christian over time, not deliberately, and it's not done intentionally, it's just. The, the pressures of life, whether it be work, whether it be family, whether it be your marriage, whether it be your friendships or relationships, whether it's like obstacle after obstacle, whether it's discouragement after discouragement, whether it's disappointment after disappointment, you have all these pressures that sort of suck you of the life and, of, and the joy and the excitement that you once had as a Christian. Now, you've, it probably sounds familiar to you. And you may have experienced some of this. You may be experiencing this even now. But if you turn with your Bibles to Zechariah, please. Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah was a guy who encountered not just a church, but an entire city, an entire people struggling like this. People wrestling with their sense of significance, people feeling underappreciated despite their efforts, and ultimately they reached this point where they just wanted to, to give up and, and just be content in going through the motions of their walk with the Lord. I mean, I'm sure at to some point and to some degree, this may sound familiar to you. I know it was familiar for Zechariah, but he was appointed by God to go to these people and preach a message of encouragement, to preach a message of refreshing, to preach a message that would revive the, the dry soul, that would quicken the dead spirit, that would excite their hearts again in the Lord. And my prayer is today that as we look over the next few weeks, at Zechariah, we too will learn from this message and apply, well, not even just apply, but, but, but learn in such a way where we, and here's that word again, what's that word? Connect. Connect with the Lord Jesus again intimately, personally, and be re-enthused and reinvigorated and revived in our relationship with him as well. Now, I want you to bear in mind, this is something that we all do. I know I used to do this as, parent, as a parent. Um, but we have this tendency of throwing blanket solutions over everybody and thinking what applies to one person applies to all. Now, I want you to be very wary that as we look at this today, that you have a heart that is open to what the Spirit of God is showing you today, that you have ears that are open to the message that the Lord is speaking to you today. 
And that with all the distractions that you're going through, you'll hear the voice of God speak to you personally about your context, about where you're at, and what he can do to revive your heart and and your spirit personally. Because I I know for a fact what, what Pam goes through will be different to what I go through. What Tommy goes through will be different to what Esther goes through. What Nick goes through will be different from what Pastor John goes through. They're all different. And God will speak to us uniquely because he'll meet you, and I've shared this before, he'll meet you where you are at. So let's open a word of prayer, and let's look at the word of God together. Father, we thank you. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. Thank you that by your Spirit we've been made alive in your Son, Jesus Christ. And I just pray that you'll connect with us this morning. I pray that you'll open our eyes to see you, that whatever our distractions are, whatever the hiccups are, the obstacles that we're facing, even now, you will help us to put them to the side to see you and you alone. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us hearts to respond to you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, by way of context before you get things, now last week I realized, I spoke for like 45 minutes last week, sorry about that. Um, yeah, but yeah, too bad, too sad. All right, so anyway, this is what's going to happen. This is what happened. Today, I've got one point for you, my sermon today. One point. I haven't done that for like, like ever. So, by way of context, God's people have been in captivity for 70 years. All right? And now Cyrus now becomes the king of Persia. He comes to power, and now he gives the Jews permission to go home to rebuild the temple, to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple. You can read through Ezra and Zechariah and Nehemiah, and you see those stories. So you have Haggai and Zechariah that are contemporaries. All right. Now, while there were a lot of people that went back, there were a lot that chose to remain back in Babylon. And those that went back encountered a lot of difficulty. They encountered a lot of hardship, and that resulted in them ultimately stopping from doing what God had called them to do, stopped them from fulfilling the work of God in their lives. And so prayerfully, as we look at Zechariah's message today, we can have our hearts revived, we can have our hearts refreshed by today's word. This is what my one point is. Today's word is the word return, is the word return. Return. Read with me from Zechariah chapter 1, verses 2 to 6. We read this. The Lord, I'll read verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo. Verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 4, do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says, turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And what and the prophets do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. 
what I really like in this passage is that it's a passage of contrasts. It's a passage of comparisons. It's a compassion, sorry, it's a, it's a passage of compassion and, and invitation and, and warning and, and lessons that are communicated to his people. But ultimately, the point the Lord wants to be the central aspect of this message and is the central aspect of our message today is this idea of returning, of returning, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you have done, no matter what mistakes you have made, no matter how you've fallen, no matter what the consequences are of the sin that you have, sorry, the consequences are of the choices that you have made, The invitation remains the same because the Lord Almighty says this, return to me. Return to me. Do you realize the extent to which this invitation reaches? Do you understand the grace that is bestowed within such a phrase? Return to me. In your disobedience, return to me. In the mistakes that you've made, return to me. In the foolish choices where you've walked away, return to me. You see, in verse 2, he starts off with these really crazy words. Well, not crazy words, but he says this. The Lord was very angry toward your ancestors. Now, it's not that the Lord wasn't being gracious to, this, to, his, to these ancestors. It wasn't that the Lord was being patient and, and, and long-suffering because he had warned them time after time after time. He sent them prophets to warn them of coming judgment. The, the ancestors he's referring to are the ancestors that continually and willingly turn their back on the ways and on the person of God to do what they wanted. They wanted to be like other nations, serve other gods, serve other idols, indulge in their own desires. And in doing so, God would warn them, if you don't do that, there's going to be judgment. If you're going to keep doing that, there'll be a consequence. If you, you as a parent, you know this. You know the amount of time you love your children. You love them dearly. And you see them doing something wrong and continually you're like don't do that or there'll be trouble don't do that because there'll be a consequence don't do that something's going to happen i remember i remember years ago years ago like you know when, when i was talking with this at the kids at school sometimes when you do stuff and you're not thinking things through and i remember one time um one, one of my kids they were so angry they threw their phone on the ground and it smashed and they were like can i get another phone no no you you that's the consequence of the choices that you make. Not that I didn't love him, not that I didn't care for him, but I was like, okay. So it is with the heart of God here, the father heart of God here with his people who gave them chance after chance, who gave them grace after grace, who gave them blessing after blessing, who gave them forgiveness after forgiveness, continually and finally said, time, consequences are about to come. And consequences came. They finally got to experience what they wanted, a life without God, and it resulted in their captivity. It resulted in their exile. It resulted in their punishment. We are told in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, one of my favorite passages of verses, be not deceived. Don't kid yourself. Don't fool yourself. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. If you sow to the, to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. 
but if you sow to the Spirit, you shall of the Spirit reap, reap life everlasting. The corruption that Israel sowed in their disobedience resulted in their captivity due to Jerusalem's destruction and a people enslaved, which is what makes today's word so beautiful because he says, therefore, tell the people, return to me. Your ancestors made terrible choices, but you don't have to. Return to me. Even though the Lord had been angry with them, regardless of what had happened in the past, despite the failures and the mistakes that had been made, he's beckoning these people to come to him. I mean, we talked about this in the disciples' fall, and we talked about this regarding what the, the grace that was extended to Peter. If you remember Peter's denial of the Lord when he denied him three times, then you have the instruction to the woman when the angel tells the woman, go and tell my disciples, and who? And Peter. You know what he's saying to Peter? Return to me. Return to me. That word to Peter was about him being reconciled. It's the word that is speaking to us now. Regardless of what struggles you're going through, regardless of what discouragement that you're experiencing, regardless of what hardships that you're facing, whether you feel inadequate, whether you feel like you failed, whether you feel like you've made a mistake and suffering the consequences of some stupid decisions. He says, return. The Lord is speaking to us now for this is what the Lord Almighty says. And this is the verse I want to hold on to. Verse 3. He says, return to me, declares the Lord, and I will return to you. Return to me, says the Lord, not return to the temple. Return to me, says the Lord, not return back to tradition. Return to me, says the Lord, not back to religious ritual, but return to me. Now, granted, the temple was where the Spirit of the Lord was. It's where he dwelt. But he isn't confined to four walls of a building. You don't need to go to a temple to experience who God is, especially for us now as Christians. We read this in Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not restricted to the temple alone. I mean, he spoke with Moses at a burning bush. He spoke with Joshua out in a field. He spoke to Elijah in a whisper. He spoke to Abraham personally. He's not restricted to these things. He's not confined by those things. That's why he says, don't return to the temple. You return to me. The building isn't special so God could dwell there. The building is special because God chose to dwell there. That's what makes it, you look at us as Christians, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about me. I wasn't some amazing holy thing that, that, that God said, yes, I want to I inhabit Joe. No, no, the only thing that makes me, I am what the Bible calls as an earthen vessel that has a treasure held within. You know what that treasure is? That treasure is Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit that lives in me. He's what makes me special. He's what makes me unique. That's, that's what it is. So I'm not special because I'm Joe. I'm special because I'm God's in Christ. I mean, religious ritual. Religious ritual. Don't return to those because they're only meaningful to the point where religious ritual is supposed to bring us to who? To him. That's what makes religious ritual meaningful. When we celebrate communion, what are we doing? We're remembering him and what he's done for us on the cross. 
when we pray, what are we doing? We're, we, we're speaking to him in personal relationship. When I spend time fellowshipping with you, my brothers and my sisters, what are we doing? That in our fellowship, where two or three are gathered in his name, he's there among us. It's because he's there for us. I was, I was talking with Pastor Roger on Friday. Pastor Roger goes to me. Now, granted, no, he, he looks like me, except he has hair. And, and we're talking, and he says to me, you know, bro? Yes, you know, what do we have together? Seriously, what do we have together? Just Jesus. It's the only thing we got. And I says, and what I've noticed that when, when all I have is Jesus in connection with someone else, then I'll reconnect with them, no matter how long. Like, like it's been years. It's been years since I've sort of really connected with Rog. And, and here we are reconnecting again. Why? Because of Jesus. Amen. I hadn't spoken to Amen. I've started speaking to him again since last November. I disconnected with him for almost a decade. I'd speak to him here and there, but now we've reconnected. Why? Because of Jesus. Religious ritual is all about that bringing us to him. It's, it's not, we have to be careful that we don't turn religious ritual into a substitute for relationship with Jesus. It's a poor substitute. Okay, we have to be very careful that John chapter 5, verse 39, we read this. Jesus says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now, I love these words. These are the scriptures that testify about me. They point us to him. Same thing with tradition. Tradition, there are some wonderful things. When I look at church history, there are some wonderful traditions that we've held to within the church. There are some extra biblical traditions that we even hold on to in this church, but they point us to Jesus, which are, are a blessing. And once again, we have to be careful that we don't take traditions and put them on the same level as Scripture, or on the same level as God, or on the same level as, as, as His Word. We have to be very careful about that. But he says in, in, John, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 6, he says, you nullify the word of God for the sake of what? Your tradition. You have to be very, very careful. And all of these examples, I mean, that's only three. But these three examples demonstrate the idea that what the Lord is, is trying to tell the people, in, 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 the people of Israel in Zechariah, and it's what he's trying to tell us here today, that it's about people going back to him. That's where we have to start. Like a loving father who runs to his prodigal son in Luke 15. Like the God of Israel who hears his people's cry in Exodus 3. Or as the head of the church who has supremacy over all things in Colossians 1. He reinforces the reality of returning to him above all else. Because there's nowhere else we can go in which we can find not only acceptance to God, but our, our whole idea of contentment and purpose. I mean, what happens in John chapter 6 when all the people leave? When all the people leave, Jesus talks about him being the bread of life, and they couldn't grasp it. it was, they couldn't get it around their heads. And, they're like, and so, so they leave. And then he says this to the disciples, will you also go? What does Peter say? To whom will we go, Lord? To whom will we go? You hold. You hold the keys of eternal life. You hold hope. You hold life. You hold purpose. In other words, is this. Peter realized, and the disciples realized, that there is nothing else, nothing in comparison to the greatness of Jesus Christ, who is right in their presence there. We, we get so caught up. And, and, and look, there's nothing wrong. Please don't get me. Get, I'm, not, not tell, I'm not telling people off. But we can get so caught up in just life, in the busyness of life, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's extracurricular activities, whether it's getting married, 
You know, we can get caught up in all of these things that we can lose sight. We can lose sight of, of, of the most important one of all, which is Jesus Christ. And this gets me to raise this question for us when we're feeling this, this meh in, in, in our Christian journey. What do I do when I have drifted away from the Lord? What can I do to reignite the passion for the things of God? What can I do to be revitalized in my joy with the Lord? And I, and I want to clarify something here. Like I talked about the net, I can't give you, I can't give you a 12-step program into spiritual success. I can't give you that. I, I can't give you a formula that, will, that, that you can follow and that by doing A plus B plus C, you're going to find the joy of the Lord. There's no guarantee for that spiritual success or deep theological purpose. What I can do is I can point you to the one in whom the source of life can be found. That's the only thing I can do. I, 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 the only tools that I can give you is to share with you the beautiful truths that Jesus shares with us for us to take hold of and understand the greatness of his love for me so that I can discover for me the joy that I have in him. That's the only thing I can do. For example, we've heard these verses over and over again, but I want you to, like, like I did last week when I said, take, take this, take that verse, when, it's when Jesus says, like, that you're to love others as I have loved you. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? If I say, if I have to love you like Jesus loves me, that means I have to be more compassionate. That means I have to be more understanding. That means I have to be more forgiving. That means I have to be more patient. You know, there's all those things. This is all the same thing here. I want you to take these verses and I want you to sort of break it down for you. How does Jesus speak to you in each of these words that the Lord Jesus shares with us? For example, this one. When you read this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, when he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What does that mean for you? How is Jesus speaking to you in that? When you're, when you're busy with your kids and your kids have been complete brats, and then you hear this, the, the, the whisper of the Spirit of God say to you, come to me if you're tired and weary. I'll give you that rest, even in the midst of this hardship that you're finding, the difficulty of your child being misbehaving. Hey, what does the Lord speak to you when you hear that verse and hear that verse? I mean, when we look at it, this is what Zechariah 1, 3 reminded me of, James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. There's a big difference between the two verses, though. In Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, he's talking to a people that have walked away from him. And he's saying, you come back, you return to me. Drawing near implies that you're already in the presence of God. It implies that you're already there. It's like, it's like if Jono was standing here, I'm already in the prison. If, if, if I'm outside of the building and someone says, hey, Jono wants to see you, Joe, I have to return back into the building to spend time with Jono. And I know Jono looks forward to that. Okay? Yeah, thanks, bro, for confirming. But drawing near, like I can be in the building, I could be in the same building as Jono, but be nowhere near him. I can be in the same building as Jono, I can be upstairs. Okay? Drawing near means this, that I'm in the same building, but I want to get closer. I'm in the same building, but I, I want it to be more meaningful. I'm in the building, but I want to be more mindful of connection with him. That's what Jesus is reaching out to you. That's what God's saying to you. He's saying, draw near to him. If you're feeling weary, come near to him. 
I, I love the promise of God that states this. Job chapter 22, uh, the first half of verse 23 says this. If you return to the Lord Almighty, you will be restored. If you return to the Lord Almighty, you will be restored. This is what he's doing in Zechariah chapter 1. This is the challenge for us. Our restoration comes when we go back to him above all else. That we return to him, that we will not go the way of others before us that perhaps didn't heed to the word of the Lord, that perhaps wouldn't be willing to repent of their ways, that perhaps chose not to pay attention to what God's warnings were. If you read, as you look back in the past in verses 5 and 6 of Zechariah 1, he just makes, this is the contrast of what he's doing to the people now. This is what happened back then. He says in verses 5 and 6, where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which command my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. Now, I want you to bear in mind something. And I, I want us to be aware of this. They suffered the consequences of their choices. There are consequences to sin. You have to understand that. And what's amazing is the grace of God is such as that if you don't want anything to do with God, he'll say, okay, go for it. It's what he did with Israel. It's what he's done all throughout the scriptures. It's what he tried, what he tried to do with, ba what he did with Balaam. It's what he talks about in Romans chapter one. There are consequences to the choices that you make. And if you continue to make choices that exclude God in your life, then eventually he'll say, you want that, you go for it. But be prepared to suffer the consequences of your life choice and what's interesting is this when he says and and, and look I, I praise God I asked this of Henry I asked this of Henry, you know, Henry Earl at camp I asked this of Rog I've asked this of Eamon I've asked this of a whole bunch of believers that are still pressing on for the God because I know there are so many believers that I do know that are no longer following that are no longer walking with the Lord that have chosen, like what Israel did back then, to do their own thing. And I asked Roger, I said, why, bro? Why do you think us, man? Why, why do you think we're still going and, and other people aren't? And, and every single one I asked tell me the same answer, and I agree with them 100%. They said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. There is nothing else. It is merely by God's grace that I'm still here now. And it's by God's grace that prayerfully I'll be able to keep going. That's it. There ain't, there ain't, there's nothing special about me. There is no, I know the sinfulness of my heart. I know how evil that I can be. I know the attitude that I have. You heard about that last week. You know the attitudes that I can have. I know that. And I humble myself before the grace of God that allows me this wonderful opportunity to speak of his love and of his goodness. And even that when I do fail, you know what he says to me? You know what I hear? I hear because his love returned to me, Joe. You'll find it in me. You'll find your contentment, your hope, your purpose. You'll find that in me. So then how do we return? That's the thing, eh? How do we return? That's the thing about today's word. Because here's what's really exciting to me, is that when he says to me, return, he's reaching out to me to take my hand. 
that's the love of God for, to a sinner like me, that he's reaching out with his hand as well. And he shows me, he shows me by revealing to me the futility of my own human efforts. Have you ever wondered why? And this is what, take, take this on board. Have you ever thought like, you, 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 let me, come up, let me calm down. Okay. You feel dry. You feel like you're just, you know, but maybe, maybe feel's not the right word, but distant. There's this distance. There's this, the, the, the joy is, is missing. The, the passion has gone. The enthusiasm has, has, has frayed over time, whatever it might be. You know what I see that as? I see that as a loving father revealing to you that something's not right in your relationship with him. That's the love of God showing you and me that you will not find that contentment, that joy, that hope, that, that, that anywhere else except in him. That's what he's showing. And the fact that that thing's been made relevant to you, the fact that you can recognize that, you have a couple of choices. You can see it as, oh, this sucks, I'm going to chuck it in. Or you can sit there and say, Lord, you're, you're showing me this because you love me. You're showing me this because you desire me to grow. You're showing me this because there's something that's preventing me from experiencing an intimacy and a closeness that he invites you to. That's what he does. And so when you're in that and you start crying out and reaching out, he reaches out to you. Thus, when he says, return to me, he means repentance. And like, like the people of Israel that would discard that which was not of the Lord and position themselves before him, whether it be in the temple, whether it be on their knees for us, whether it be just in the word, whether it be just crying out to him. It means repentance, that when he reveals the thing to you that's affecting your walk with him, that you would repent of such things. Now remember, remember, repentance, repentance isn't just about this. Boom, it's not that. Repentance begins in the mind. It means a change of mind, a change of heart. That's what repentance means. Repentance means a change of, of way of thinking. That's what it means. So it means repentance. Return to me means submission. It means being willing to let go of the things we use to validate our, our purpose. And, and I, I fall into this trap. I used to sit there. I used to, I used to thrive. I used to thrive over the comments of people saying, Joe, that's a great sermon. That was a great sermon. I used to thrive off that. And then realizing for me, I was looking for the praise of man rather than the acknowledgement of God. I used to thrive off that and understand, no, that's because because once I thrive off the praise of man, you know what I'm doing? I'm living for me. It's got nothing to do with God. And I would use that to validate my purpose, and yet it did nothing. I used that became the substitute of my relationship with him. And the gauge of my spirituality was determined on how well I preached a sermon on a Sunday. As opposed to whether I hear from my God, well done, my good and faithful servant. And to, so submission means to, to give up what I want in, in, in favor of what his desire is. Return to me means acknowledgement, recognizing that he is God of heaven and earth, heaven of, of heaven above and of earth below. His sovereign, transcendent, omnipotent, authority that holds all things in his hands. I've got to understand that. With this so much I don't understand, he has it under his complete control. Return to me means reconciliation. The reestablishing of a friendship with the King of Kings and with the Lord of Lords, where he is not ashamed to call us brethren. 
And if you'll notice, those four things I've referred to, four of so many, these are all aspects of and maintenance of relationship. Repentance is about relationship. Reconciliation is about relationship. Submission is about relationship. That's what he wants us to do. And, and in that relationship, it's a relationship where you and I are the greatest beneficiaries. We're the ones that get the good deal. We're the ones that are blessed, where we receive true love demonstrated by Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, the first half. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We receive true acceptance because of Jesus. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Romans 15, 7. That in that relationship, we receive true forgiveness found in Jesus. Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. See, whatever our state currently, whatever stage you have reached in your life, whatever thoughts the enemy might place in your mind, or you've even just held on to yourself, understand this. When the Lord of love says, return to me, he is reaching out to you. He is inviting you to come back to him. And you see what happens. Remember, and, and it's in Luke, oh, sorry, Matthew 9, 20, the woman with the issue of blood who had been bleeding for 12 years, and she reached out. She reached out and touched Jesus. What happened in response? Jesus acknowledged her. Acknowledged her. And then he went to her and said, your faith has made you whole. He, he reached out to her. Perhaps you need to reach out by faith, trusting that he will make you whole as you reach out to him. Like blind Bartimaeus who cried out when the Lord, while he was begging, he cried out. And, and people were saying, keep quiet, keep quiet, don't bother the master. What did he do? He yelled out even louder. He yelled out even, and then what happens? When he, when he reaches out in his screaming, what happens? Jesus reaches out to him. And he brings it to him. And what does he receive? He receives his sight. Maybe we need to cry out in the difficulties we're going through. Not bound by what we do not see, but bound by who we know to be there. Not bound by what we do not see. Bartimaeus didn't see him, but he knew he was there. So we cried out. You might be going through stuff that has covered your complete vision of who God is while you're just pressured with life. I tell you what, you cry out to him and cry out even louder. Well, you may not see him, but he's there. And he will reach out to you. This is what the word return challenges us with this morning. To return to the Lord who promises, hold, hold on to that. To return to the Lord who promises to return to us. To draw near to him who promises to draw near to us. To honor him who promises to honor us. That's the word for us this morning. Return to the Lord. Reach out to him and he will return to you. If you just like to bow your heads, we'll close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much.
for this wonderful blessing of your word. Thank you for the truths that are held within and the encouragement of the invitation that is laid out before all of us to return to you, to find our hope, our contentment, our strength, our purpose, our direction, all in you. I pray, Father, for, for our church, for those at home watching, for those of us that are here, if we are feeling hurt and burdened, if we are feeling pressured and, and struggling with this life, if we are feeling dry and, and finding it difficult just to move, if our passion for you is gone, I pray that we will heed your word of return and that we will return to you wholeheartedly. There will be many obstacles in our way, there will be many things that will trip us up, but I pray that we will cry out and keep our eyes focused on you and you alone. Please help us, Lord, because we need your help. I thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace. I thank you for your son and, and what he has done for us and given us life. And, and I pray, Lord, that we would live this reality out moment by moment, day by day. So we ask for you to dismiss us now. And thank you for the privilege to know you as our Father, as our King, and as our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.